It's not because it's our sermon series, um, but because it was, uh, of all places, the, the place that I felt uh, the Lord was most clearly leading me to teach from today. And um, we're going to jump ahead to 1 Corinthians 15, and I'll jump around a little bit to some different, to some different places um, as we consider the resurrection of Jesus, the reality is, guys, you know this, if he didn't rise from the dead, we would not worship him. He, he, would, have, he would have been an amazing man, a profoundly uh, impactful, impacting person, a, a hero in all kinds of ways in history, a, a, a role model, a, a great moral teacher, but, a, but honestly, a failure. If he had not risen from the dead. The resurrection from the dead, it, it validates what he, what he did on Friday. In, in the words of Matt Chandler, the, the resurrection is the evidence that the check went through. Jesus pays a debt for our sin. And on Sunday, rises from the dead. And it's a validation. Yeah, it was good. It was good. The Father says, I'll take that. It vindicates him. He made all these claims. I mean, you guys have heard the, the, the Lewis quote. He's either a, a liar or a lunatic or the Lord. He, I mean, he made these claims. I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the gate. I am. These claims that he made... And when he rises from the dead, it, it, it vindicates those claims. He is indeed who he said. He rode into Jerusalem. We read last week, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. The people are praising him as king. The Pharisees are like, don't let them do that. He's like, I'm cool with it. <laughs> okay, if he doesn't rise from the dead, he's a big failure on, on Friday. Romans chapter 1 says that the resurrection declares him to be the Son of God. 1 Corinthians 15.20 says that he's the first fruits. You know what the first fruits are? The first fruits are uh, when you have the harvest and, the, and, and, and things start to get ripe, the first ripened fruits, you take them as the first fruits. And it, it's an indication of the, that the rest of the harvest is on the way. Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of a coming resurrection in which we will be raised up with him. We worship him because he rose. And if he didn't rise... Paul says we'd still be in our sins. We would not worship him. So this is huge. And we all know that. And I'm sure we can all learn more about what's taking place when Jesus rises from the dead. I have, I have three things I want to look, look at today with relationship to Christ's resurrection. The first one comes mainly from this text, these first eight verses in 1 Corinthians and I'm just going to read it again. I, I know that we have a scripture reader come up and read, and then I usually read through the whole thing again, but it helps me. And maybe it helps you too, because we're going through it a couple times. So let's just read this again, 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Here's Paul. He preached a gospel to the Corinthians. He's reminding them of that gospel, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved. This gospel is... Is, is what's saving them. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. 
Here's what Paul received in terms of the gospel. Here's the gospel he presented to them. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Verse 4. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And the, and the point is, the, the main point of, the, of the, the first thing I want to say is that he rose from the dead convincingly. Jesus rose from the dead convincingly. If you're taking notes, that would be your first point. It was convincing. Notice in verse 4 that Paul goes out of his way to say, not only was Jesus Christ, not only did he die for our sins in accordance with the scripture, but verse 4, that he was buried. I mean, he, he was dead. He, it, you've heard the swoon theory, maybe, that Jesus, uh, that Jesus passed out, you know, maybe blood loss, passed out, and then was he, he swooned, and then they took him down. They thought he was dead, but he wasn't really dead. He swooned, and then they took him into the, the tomb, and the dampness and the coolness of the tomb revived him, and, uh, and then somehow he had the strength still to move this, this you know, two-ton rock and whatever, and then he probably took out the guards and, you know, the swoon theory. Okay, no, no, no. He, he was dead. He was completely dead. He was buried. That's the point of that little phrase. Jesus died according to the scripture. He was buried. And the point of saying that is that his resurrection was a bodily resurrection. His body was dead, and then he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to all these people, hundreds and hundreds of people that Jesus appears to. And, and, and some, of, some of them have fallen asleep, but most of them are still alive. Point is, Corinthians, you can talk to all these people. You can go verify that it was a bodily resurrection. Remember, we looked at the end of chapter Luke a couple weeks ago. Jesus proves to them it's real body. Uh, let me have some fish. He eats some fish for them to help them understand that this is, this, he's not a spirit man. He's not some ghost Casper dude. He's, he's, a, he's a resurrected human being. He was totally dead. He's totally alive. It was totally convincing. There are hundreds of people that you can go talk to. His resurrection was a convincing resurrection. But there's a group of people among these who have been saved that I want to I look at because there are some people who are singled out, like Cephas, right? In verse 5, he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is Peter. Interesting. Why, why does he go out of his way to say that? You know, in, in Mark's account of the resurrection, Mark says something similar. Let me read this to you. Mark 16, verse 5, and following. And entering the tomb, these, uh, these uh, two young women, these, these women, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. Interesting. Because Peter's one of the disciples, right? Go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. P- Peter got, had, there was some unique thing about Peter. He needed to know that Jesus rose from the dead. There was some, some uh, reason that, that he was kind of singled out. Peter needs to know why. Uh, 
We'll come back to it. Okay. He's not the only guy who's singled out because um, Paul mentions in verse 7 that James was also appeared to. Now, this is not James, one of the 12 disciples, the brother of John. Uh, the, the brother of John. So you, you know, the sons of thunder, James and John. Peter, James, and John, those are like the three main inside guys with Jesus. This is not that James. This is James, the author of the book of James. This is James, the pillar in the early church, the leader in the church in Jerusalem, together with Peter. This is James, the brother of Jesus, who did not believe that Jesus was the Christ, according to John chapter 7. I mean, can you imagine this scene? Jesus rises up from the dead, goes to his brother. He's like, what's up, man? (laughs) He's like, Jesus? He's like, yeah. Hey, you remember that time when we were kids that I told you that I was the son of God? Remember that? (laughs) I don't know what they talked about, but that would have been um, quite a, a conversation. So he appears to Peter. He appears to James. He appears to Paul uniquely, verse 8, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Who are these? Why? Why mention these guys? There's one more group of people that's mentioned. It says in, in verse 5, he appeared to the 12. And then down in, in um, verse 7, he appeared to all the apostles, which at least includes the 12, maybe a few more people. He appeared to the 12, the insiders. Now, this doesn't include Judas, because, of course, Judas is dead at this point. It probably includes his replacement, Matthias. We read about that in Acts chapter 1. What can we say about all these people? The 12, the insiders, Peter, his his kind of right-hand man, it would seem. James, his own brother. Paul. Paul doesn't really come into the picture until a little bit later in church history, of course. What is it about these guys? And I think one of the things that we can say is that these men were total failures. They were total failures. The night that Jesus is betrayed, what's Peter doing? He's making these great claims, I will never leave you three times. He denies that he knows the Lord the last time, calling curses down upon himself. I swear to you, I do not know the man. Where's James, his own brother? Where is he? He's not anywhere around because he doesn't believe at all that Jesus is the Christ. And what about the twelve? Where are those guys? These are his closest friends. Where are they the night that Jesus is betrayed? They're gone. They're totally gone. They scattered. Listen to this. Matthew 6.26, verse 30. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Here's Jesus just kind of telling what's going to happen later in the night. And then, same, same chapter, Matthew 26, you just drop your eyes down to verse 56, this, this little phrase, All the disciples left him and fled. They're gone, man. They are nowhere to be seen. Denying unbelieving, fleeing. I have this, uh, I have a friend who, he, he shared with me one time, he said one of his deepest wishes, if, he, if God would just grant him anything, he said, I would love to be just kind of transported into the garden, garden of Gethsemane and I would just love to be there for Jesus that night. 
Everyone in the world is abandoning him, including his father. I'd love to, I'd love to just be there and just stay awake with him, pray with him. It's kind of, it's kind of a cool thought, but it, it, it misses the point. It misses the point. He was the sole survivor. He's the, he has to win. Everyone else fails. Every other man is revealed for who he is. Every man is revealed a failure. And he's, Jesus is revealed a Savior. It had to be that way. Jesus is the Savior. These guys all leave him. And one of the great things about the fact that Jesus appears to these guys in particular is we know exactly who they were before he appeared to them, don't we? We know exactly who they were. We know what they're doing. Jesus shows up to the betrayer, to the uh, to the to the one who denies him. Hi, Peter. He shows up to the to the brother who does not believe in him. Hi, James. He shows up to the twelve who flee. Hey, guys, come here. We know exactly who they are. And when we leave the Gospels, these guys are like, holy cow. The, the, the women, we just we read this morning the, from the account in, in Matthew, the women, when they saw that the tomb was empty, they saw the angel, they, they feared, but they had great joy. There's just this bewilderment. Holy cow, he, he rose from the dead. What? He rose from the dead? And then they're eating fish with him and they're sitting on the shore with him and he's teaching them and, and there's just this amazement. These guys are seeing the risen Christ. And then you go to Acts and guess what? <laughs> These guys are different. These guys are really different. Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Now when the rulers, elders, and scribes saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's cool. They conferred with one another saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident. So they healed this guy. The the apostles healed this guy. It's, It's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, I do not know the man. Is that what it says? You should have your Bible. Acts 4. That's not what they say. Peter and John answer them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than, rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. These guys are different. Or you go to Acts chapter 5. Go ahead and flip over. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, 5.17, all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. The last guy that stood in the temple and spoke all the words of this life ended up getting pinned to a cross. And when they heard this, they fled. Is that what it says? Of course not. 
When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, you, you jump down in the, in the passage, and the, the, uh, the rulers are, are just, they can't believe that these guys, they just threw them in jail the day before. They don't know how they got out of jail. Suddenly, they're in the temple, they're teaching, they're really angry. They say, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet, the, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus. And guess what? They've seen it. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness for sins. And we are witnesses of these things. These guys are different. Because they have witnessed these things. And so is the Holy Spirit a witness of these things. Whom God has given to those whom obey Him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. And you know what they did? They went ahead and did end up killing some of them. So these guys are not the same in the book of Acts as they were last Thursday night. They're different. They're changed. Why? What happened? They saw the crucifixion and they saw the resurrection. It's one of the greatest arguments for the historicity of the resurrection. How else do you explain the turnaround in these men? One night, they're not even willing to acknowledge that they know Him. Next thing you know, they're preaching the same message that just got that guy crucified. Well, how do you explain that? Where does that kind of boldness come from? A lie? They stole the body and then they conspired together. He said, okay, let's, just pre- let's, let's tell everybody that he rose back from the dead and, uh, and then we'll, we'll, get, we'll, go, we'll go preach this, this message and we'll, we'll say that. You, you would think that at some point, one of those guys, when they're about to be martyred, would go, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on just a second. Just kidding. We stole the body. No, they, they all go to their death, except for John, tradition says, who was broiled alive but survived it. Wow. They all go to, they all go to their death. How do you explain that? The crucifixion certainly wouldn't have motivated that kind of courage. They saw the risen Christ. They saw him. Because if you're, if you're convinced that Jesus rose from the dead, it changes the whole game. It changes all your categories. It blows your mind. You can't think the same way. These guys saw you. They thought, they thought he was the Messiah. They really did believe that he was the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Mark chapter 8. So they believed. But then he died. Like, oh, well, now what do we do? Well, then he rose back from the dead, and it's game over. <laughs> dude, he's alive. The dude is invincible. You can't stop him. He knows exactly what he's doing. He died, and he rose from the dead. <laughs> and it changes everything. It just changes everything. You'll live your life differently if you're convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. I want to be on his team. <laughs> you, can't, you can't kill him. And if you belong to him, guess what? You're invincible too, in the same sense that he was. 
you're coming back. Just think about Thomas here. John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 25. So the other disciples told him, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put, put your finger here. <laughs> and see my hands. Put, and, and, and put out your hand and place it, in, place it in my side. Do not believe, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. He went from, I will not believe, to my Lord and my God. Because he saw the resurrected Christ. Interesting question, though. Okay, so that's great for Thomas. What about me? (laughs) That helped. That would help. And Jesus actually speaks to that a little bit. John chapter 20, verse 29, right after that, that discourse, next verse, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. We have not seen the way that Thomas saw. Yet many of us believe, don't we? So is that blind faith? Is that just totally blind faith? Or have we seen something too? And I would argue that we have indeed seen something. We ourselves have have seen something. And this is my my second point. Christ is still visible. Christ is still visible today. We don't see the same way that Thomas got to see, at least not yet, it's coming. But that doesn't mean that our faith is blind. There's a different way to see Christ. There's a different kind of eyesight that God gives to His people. You read Paul speaking in, in Ephesians chapter 1. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. I keep praying for you, Paul says to the Ephesians, I keep praying for you that God will give you revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the, in the saints? There is a type of eyesight that comes from the eyes of the heart perceiving something as God gives revelation. And how do the eyes of the heart see Christ? You see Christ with your ears. That's how it works now. You see Christ with your ears. Consider Galatians chapter 1. This is what Paul says as he speaks to the Galatians. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who who has bewitched you? Galatians are in a lot of trouble because they've been making some bad decisions. Kind of like the Corinthians, right? Uh, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Really? Because... Paul doesn't go to Galatia, the region of Galatia, until 48 A.D., roughly. Jesus dies in 30, 33 A.D. 
Okay, so you got, I'm not a math guy, what, 15 years? Help me. 15 years roughly. You have 15 years between the time Jesus was crucified and the first time the Galatians ever hear about Jesus. And they're Gentiles. They're not even Jews. They don't even care what's going on in Jerusalem. And yet Paul says it was before you that Christ was portrayed, publicly portrayed as crucified. This is in modern day Turkey. What's he talking about? Verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The way that they saw Christ publicly portrayed as crucified is when Paul preached the gospel. It's through the preaching of the gospel that the eyes of the heart see Jesus displayed. And then by faith, we hear that gospel, see Jesus, and believe and receive the Holy Spirit. You see with your ears. That's what we do. That's what we're doing each week right here from this pulpit. It's display. It's display of Christ that you might see Him. I want you to see Jesus through the Word of God proclaimed, through the Gospel on displaying Christ. That's what you're doing when you're having your quiet time. You're in the Word of God. You want to see Jesus. That's why we proclaim it. That's why we meditate on it. That's why we pray through the Word. That's why we remember the Word of God. We're doing these, uh, these fighter verses right now. Why? We want to see Christ. Because I'm telling you, if you don't see Jesus, you will not believe in Him. There's nothing to believe in. You have to see Him. But you see Him differently than the way Thomas saw Him. You see Him with the eyes of your heart through the Word of God, the the proclamation of the Gospel, the reading of Scriptures. And as you behold Christ in the Scriptures, His life, His death, His resurrection, God the Holy Spirit is then pleased to bring you into a genuine encounter with Him. We've experienced this. If you know Christ, you saw Christ in the Scriptures, perhaps even today. Perhaps even today. As we're talking about these things, you're seeing something that you hadn't seen before. Not with your eyes, but something about that message of Christ. It's like, huh, uh, that's really intriguing. Something happening in your heart, maybe. Seeing something. Holy Spirit brings you into an encounter with Jesus and when you genuinely encounter the risen Lord Jesus Christ in and through the Word of God by that power of the Holy Spirit, there's only one response that's fitting. My Lord and my God. Amen? Amen. My Lord and my God. Is that that your experience? Is that your experience of, of the Lord? Are you seeing Him? Are you seeing Him? You seeing him through the week? I mean, it's just a great question. Are you seeing him? And some people are like, I'm not really seeing him. And then the next question is, are you in the word of God? Because that's where he's on display. Are you praying through the word of God? Sometimes, sometimes I get in these, these I get stuck, you know, I'm, I'm praying. I'm trying to just figure out, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just babbling, you know. I'm like, I've been praying for 15 minutes. I haven't said a word to God. You know, I'm just running in circles. And, and I'll just go to a passage in the Bible. 
I go to the Psalms. That's why every morning the first thing I do is I go to a Psalm and I pray through the Psalm because it gives me some content, something to focus on. I'm looking at God. When you encounter Him, He changes you. So, first point, Jesus Christ rose from the dead convincingly. Second point, we still see Jesus. Third point is not only have we seen the resurrected Christ, everyone in this room who's come to Christ has seen the resurrected Christ. Not the way Thomas did. But not only have we seen him, but something else has taken place. Namely, we have taken part in the resurrection of Christ, if you belong to Jesus. We have taken part in the resurrection. And and for this, I want you to go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I'm flipping my Bible, Bible too. I'm just going to read you the first 11 verses, starting in verse 1. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Let me just pause right here. Okay. When Jesus died, if you belong to him, There's a very real sense in which you died too. He died your death for you. He died for sin. You have sin. You belong to Him. When He died, it was your sin He was dying for. It was your punishment He was taking. He died your death for you. Well, guess what? Three days later, He came back up. And guess who's in Him? You are, if you put your faith in Christ. So you are united to Him in His death. You are united to Him in His resurrection. This is where the power of sin was severed over your life. Let's keep going. Verse 5, or verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Okay, you've been set free from sin because you died. Because Jesus died your death for you. Because you belong to Him. Verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. Your, your death for sin has already been died. He died once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So... Here it is. You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Right now, if you're in Christ, dead to sin, alive to God. Because you're in Him. And He's 
Death is a thing of the past for Jesus. He died, he came back, he can never die again. You're in him. Game over. For us. This is awesome. Let me, let me, let me apply this to two groups of people. The first group is, is, is perhaps some of you who maybe don't know Jesus. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you've been coming to New Hope for a long time. Maybe you're a visitor here today. I don't know where you're, you know, I don't know who I'm talking to right now, except I think there might be people or a person or several people here who don't know this yet, don't know him yet. And, and the way that this applies to you is that right now I invite you on behalf of Jesus Christ, receive him, put your hope in him. There's some long list of failures in your life. Some, some pain because of the awareness of sin that's rotting in your heart. There's this constant guilt. There's this constant sense that you are not right with God. And your life is living testimony of that, even though maybe other people don't know that. You know it. It's just not right. Jesus died a death for the sin that's hanging on, that's, that, for your sin, the sin that is, that is in you. He died a death for that, so you don't have to die it. He can take it. He can take it. He can take the judgment for that, and He can now give to you newness of life, the Holy Spirit. You can live differently. By the grace of God, you can have your sins removed. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, for some of you, you know Christ. You believe in the, 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 his, the historical death, the historical resurrection. You have personal relationship with Jesus. You have encountered him. This is a real living relationship that you have with him. But I want to talk to the person who's a believer, but they're a realist and a cynic. Let me explain that. They're a realist, but they're a cynic. And they're a realist in this sense. You know you don't have your act together. Right? Your spouse knows it too. Your friends know it. Your coworkers know it. You know, you, you realize, hey, I don't have my act together. Okay, and maybe maybe you know you don't have your act together, and everybody else thinks you have your act together, but you really know, hey, I I just have this trail of brokenness, broken relationships, sinful brokenness, sinful habits, sinful decisions, sinful fantasies, sinful discontentment. All you know, you name it. I'll just let the Holy Spirit do his work right now. Whatever that is in you, you believe in Jesus, but there's, there, there's this, this, this realistic realization that your life is just not what it should be. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because really, that's, that should be every Christian. <laughs> you know it's not what it should be. You're a realist in that sense, and it's good, but you're a cynic. And this is what I mean by that. You refuse to believe that you have a new resurrected identity. You, you refuse to believe that you have been united to Christ in His death and resurrection. You're a realist, right? 
Instead of being a realist who trusts in Christ with your failures, you're a realist who's under the cloud of your realism. And it just means you're a cynic. You're always living in the fullness of your identity as a person who is sinful. And you're always living in the fullness of your identity as a person who's a failure. And that's all that you see. That's all that you... And you you just keep telling yourself, hey, this is just the way it is. That's all you see. It's just this big rain cloud. And people can go two two different directions when they kind of feel that way. One is they just start working like crazy to try to make their life better. Just work harder. Be a better employee. Be a better husband. Be a better father. Be a whatever. Be a better, better, better. Just working, working, working. You're busy. And, the, and what's motivating you to busyness is just this sense of the weightiness of the condemnation. It's over your life. Because you're just realistic about your sin. That's one way that people go. The other way that people go is they're, they're just a realist. Hey, they know that they're in bad shape and they try to, well, they, they just become hopeless. And just living under the rain cloud of this hopeless situation, like this is just the way I am. I, I've always struggled with this. I'm never any different. It's never going to be any different until I die. In fact, I wouldn't mind dying. And you, you're just kind of, you're just, you know, some, some people are working, some people are just depressed, and, and the reality is, okay, good that you're a realist, but hey, you need a bigger view of things. That person died. That's what the cross is all about, to take care of that person. You died with him. He died the death that that person deserves. You keep living in that identity, but that person's gone. And you have been raised up into newness of life. There's a new way to live. There's a new identity. You have passed from death to life. There's hope. You live in the reality of the resurrection. (laughs) Amen. Thank you. That's your new reality, and you've got to battle to remember that. That's what this verse is all about, verse 11. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That takes work. You have to fight. You are alive to God in Christ Jesus. You are alive to God in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is so awesome. Romans chapter 8. Listen to this. He's talking about the the Holy Spirit here. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, this is Romans chapter 8, verse 9, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, Okay, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that lives in you, resurrected Christian. If the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if 
you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh of the body, you will live. So how do you live by the Spirit? That's how I want to live. I want to live resurrection life. I don't want to live under the condemnation, rain cloud of my old identity. Hey, I'm a realist. I know that I'm lousy at a billion things. That's me. But Christ says, that's the old you that was crucified. There's a new you. There's a launching of a new creation. There's a spirit alive in you now. It's the resurrection spirit. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. He can give you life now. New life. I want to live by that spirit. How do you do that? You just go through the rest of Romans chapter 8 and you watch this. This is so awesome. Verse 15, the spirit of adoption as sons, it cries, Abba, Father. That spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, heirs, heirs with Christ. Uh, Over in verse 23, adoption as sons, redemption of our bodies. Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? You get the sense that the person who's living by the Spirit is a person who's just completely given over to the fact that God has done for you what you cannot possibly do for yourself and your hope is in Him. If He's for you, who can be against you? Live that way. Live that way. That's how you live in light of the resurrection. I'm different by God's grace. Hey, I got problems. Jesus took care of that on the cross. I want to live new now with hope in Christ. If he's for me, nothing can separate me from the love of God. That's how Romans 8 ends. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is yours in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Hey, folks, new creation has begun. And it's because Christ paid for it on the cross. The Father accepted it, raised Him from the dead, and in that resurrection, it was the launch of a new creation. And if you're in Christ, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is our story. This is our reality. This is the work of our Savior. He's an awesome Savior. He's a risen Savior. And that's what Easter is all about. Let's pray. We do thank You, Lord, that You have in Your grace rescued us from sin. Rescued us from death. You've taken the sting away from death because of the resurrection. If Christ had not been raised from the dead, we would still be in our sins. But it's not the case because He rose convincingly. And we have seen it by Your grace through the Scriptures, through the preaching of the Gospel. And we have taken part in it. Would You help us to consider ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And as we worship now, Lord, would you just allow us to express to you that we think you are an awesome Savior. Would you allow that resurrection, worshipful, hope-filled, grace-loving, faith-filled identity to manifest itself right now 
Would you appear glorious in our eyes? We just thank you, Lord. We thank you so much for this Resurrection Sunday. And we praise, we praise you and pray these things in Jesus' name.